0: story of mary jones and her bible youthful promise fulfilled when next we glance at our heroine of laugh and Hangle, she is mary jones no longer a great change has come over her surroundings and her schoolwork and her old home life with her parents are things of the past for she has married a weaver thomas lewis by name and is living at the village of Brynrug near Towan not very far from Lanthihangel but the difference in circumstances has not changed the character of mary save as the advancing summer may be said to change the fruit by ripening it so dutiful and devoted a daughter as Mary had ever proved herself, would hardly have left her parents while she could minister to the wants of their declining years, work for them, and be their great joy and comfort. So it is only reasonable to suppose that ere she married both good old Jacob and his wife had been laid to rest, and that Mary, in casting in her lot with Thomas Lewis, whom possibly she had known for many years, would be neglecting no duty that could be required from a loving daughter. But here at Brindigan, with a husband and children of her own, and the care of a home for which she alone was responsible, with new duties and fresh care, Mary's love for her Bible had grown, not diminished. Other things had changed, companionships, home influences, claims, interests, but the sacred word remained to her unaltered, except that every day it grew more into her heart and became more one with her life. Yielding her, in answer to careful study and earnest prayer for God's spirit of enlightenment, deep meanings of truth and sweetness, which had hitherto been unperceived. If Mary's life was a busy one during the years spent at Lanthe Hangel, doubly so was her life here at Brindgarag. But the same quiet energy and steadfastness of purpose for which she had ever been remarkable still pervaded all that she did, making every duty, however humble and homely, a service for Christ, while by her consistent Christian walk and example she influenced for good all that were about her. If a neighbor's child wished to have a Sunday school lesson explained, she invariably came to Mary, who could always spare a few minutes to give the instruction that had been so precious in her in her youthful days, and her intimate knowledge of the Bible gave her a very clear way of explaining its truths, while her insight into character and her sympathetic nature made her a wise counselor and an acceptable teacher. If again a friend wanted a hint or two in the making of a new dress or advice as to the management of her beehives, Mary was always the authority appealed to as being the most capable as well as the kindest of neighbors and ever ready to lend a helping hand or speak a helpful word. Thus in Bryn Krug she was winning for herself the love and confidence of her fellow creatures, and showing forth in life and in character the glory of that Savior whose faithful handmaid she tried to be. We have just alluded to the fact of her being an authority in the management of bees, and she was justly considered so as her success with her own beehives sufficiently proved That success was simply remarkable, both as to the large number of hives and their profitable results. The attracting power and influence which Mary seemed to exercise over people appeared to extend even to her bees. But be this as it might, we are told that whenever she approached the hives, her reception by her weaned subjects was nothing less than royal. Such was the loyalty and enthusiasm of these sensible, busy little honey-makers. There would be thick, with buzzing swarms, and presently they would alight upon her by hundreds, covering her from head to foot, walking over her, but never attempting to sting or showing any feeling but one of absolute confidence and friendliness. She would even catch a handful of them, as though they had been so many flies, but softly so as not to hurt them, and they never misunderstood her or offered her the slightest injury. In short, there seemed to be a sort of tacit agreement between Mary and her bees, and they were apparently proud and pleased that a part of what they were the means of earning should go towards the support of God's work in the world. For Mary divided the proceeds thus, the money brought by the sale of the honey was used by the family and household expenses, but the proceeds of the wax were divided among the societies which, poor as she was, Mary delighted to assist. Among these foremost, in her estimation, stood the British and Foreign Bible Society, with the establishment of which she had been so closely connected, and she was never happier than when she could spare what for her was a large sum to help in in sending the word of God so precious to her own heart over the world. Mary was also much interested in the Calvinistic Methodist Missionary Society, a society founded by the denomination to which she had for so many years belonged, and many a secret self-denial could have borne witness to her generosity in giving of her substance for the furtherance of the gospel. On one occasion we are told that when a collection was made at Krug for the China Million Testament Fund. In the year eighteen fifty two, a ten shilling gold piece was found in the collection plate, neatly wrapped up between halfpence and thus hidden until the money came to be counted. This was Mary's gift, the outcome of a loving, generous heart, touched by God's love and the spiritual wants of her fellow creatures. "'Mary was sitting at her cottage door one day "'when a neighbor, Betsy Davies, came up. "'Good day, Mary,' said she. "'May I come and sit with you for an hour this afternoon? "'I have a dress I must alter for my eldest girl, "'and I don't see how to begin, "'so I thought she thought may be you'd be good enough to show me.' "'Yes, that I will with pleasure,' replied Mary. "'My children are all at school, "'and my husband has gone to Tawin, "'so I have a quiet hour or two before me. "'Let me see your work, Betsy.' Betsy Davies laid the garment over Mary's knee, and Mary's eyes, quick and intelligent as ever, saw in a moment or two what was needed. "'That's not a difficult job,' she said, she, pleasantly, "'nor yet a long one. Just unpick that seam, Metsy, and I'll pin it for you, as it ought to be. "'Then if you let down the tuck and the skirt, you'll have it long enough. "'And as for the rent and the stuff, I think I've got some thread about the right collar with which you can darn it up. "'I will show you, my dear, how I darn my little Mary's dresses when she t- tears them.' as she does very often, playing with her brothers. Yours can be mended just in the same way, and you'll see the place will hardly show at all. When the two women had settled down to their work, Betsy said, I wish you'd tell me, Mary, how you managed to get on as you do. You can't be rich people, your husband being only a weaver like mine and like most of the others here, and yet you never get into debt, and you always seem to have enough for yourselves, and what's more wonderful still, you've earned to give away something too. I must say, I can't understand it. "'I don't think there's something very hard to understand,' said Mary, smiling. "'If by great care and a little self-denial we can contribute something of our substance to help on God's word, it's surely the greatest joy we can have.' "'Yes, that's all very well,' replied Betsy. "'But I never have anything to contribute. "'And yet I haven't as many children as you, "'and so my family and housekeeping doesn't cost so much.' "'It's like this, Betsy dear,' said Mary. "'We ask ourselves, I mean my husband and my children and I, all of us, "'what can we do without?' And one and another is willing to give up some little indulgence, and so we save the money. This we put into a box, which we call the treasury, and whenever we add anything to what we keep there, we think of the widow who cast into the treasury of the temple her two mites, and of our Lord's kind, tender words about her. But what sort of things can you give up, Asked Bessie? We poor folk, it seems to me, don't have any more than just the necessities of life, and one can't give up eating and drinking, or go without clothes to our backs." "'Yeah, I think if you consider a bit, you'll see that there are some trifles which are not really needed, though they may be pleasant,' replied Mary. "'Now, for instance, Thomas had always been used to a pipe and a bit of tobacco in an evening after his work was done. "'But when we were all wondering what we could give up for our dear Lord's sake, he said, "'Well, wife, I'll give you up my smoking in the evenings.' "'And I tell you, Betsy, the tears came into my eyes when I heard that, knowing that my husband's words meant a real sacrifice.' Then her eldest son, wishing to imitate his father, cried out, "'And I've still got that Christmas box my master gave me last winter, and I'll give that.' And Sally, she gave up the thought of a new hat ribbon, I'd promised her, and she sponged and ironed her old one instead and wore it, feeling prouder than if it had been new. And As for little Benny, he was all one day picking up sticks in the wood to earn a penny, and that was his gift. And you yourself, asked Betsy, with interest, I, oh, I have the wax that my bees make, and the money that I got by selling that went into the treasury, as well as any other small sum I did not actually need. And this I must say, Betsy, we have never really suffered for the want of anything we have given to God, and He repays us with such happiness and content as he alone can give. That I can well believe, rejoined Betsy, for I never hear you grumble or see you look cross or discontented like the rest of the neighbors, and as I do myself only too often. Well, Mary, she continued, I mean to try your plan, though it will come very hard at first, and I'm not used to that sort of saving. I think I got used to it when I was a child, putting away my little mites of money towards buying a Bible," rejoined Mary. For six years I have put all my little earnings, and since then it has come natural. You did get your Bible then? Yes, indeed, this is the very one, and rising from her seat, Mary took the much prized volume from the little table in the cottage and put it into her visitor's hands betsy looked at it inside and out then handed it back saying i really believe mary that this bible is one of the reasons why you are so different from all the rest of us you have read and studied and learnt so much of it that your thoughts and words and life are full of it and Mary turned her bright, dark eyes, now full of happy tears, upon her companion, and answered in a broken voice, O oh, Betsy dear, if there is a little, even a little truth in what you kindly say of me, I thank God that in his great mercy and love he suffers me, poor and weak and simple as I am, to show forth in small w- way his glory and his truth of his blessed word. The Story of Mary Jones and Her Bible Chapter 10 Her Works Do Follow Her Now our narrative nears its close. The last glimpse of our friend Mary shows as an aged woman clad in the curious old Welsh dress. She holds in one hand a staff for the support of her trembling limbs, once so active and nimble. While with other, she clasps to her side her beloved Bible, the companion of so many years, the consoler and comforter, the guide and teacher of her life. How much of joy or of sorrow, of trial or of what the world calls success, had fallen to Mary's lot during her long life of eighty-two years, we know not. We learn that she had eight children, several of whom may have died in early life. One son, we believe, lived in america little as we know however of mary's actual experiences it was impossible that during her merry life she should not have learned what deep sorrow meant as it is almost certain that she survived several of her children and quite certain that her husband too died before she did still since we are taught that god's children do not sorrow as those without hope so we are sure that the childlike trusting spirit of this handmaid of the lord was as ready to suffer as to do the will of the Divine Master, that however deep the affliction there was no bitterness in the grief, no despair in the tears that watered the graves of loved ones gone before. Feeble and tottering was now our once bright knee blithe maiden, but it was only physically that Mary was altered. She was still the same brave, simple-hearted, earnest, faithful follower of Christ. Time with his changes, imparting her from most of those whom she loved on earth, had not separated her from the love of Jesus, or taken away her delight in the word of the Lord that endureth forever. Indeed, she loved her Bible better even than of old, for she understood it more fully, and had proved its truth beyond all doubting, again and again in her daily life for so many years. Can we doubt, then, that when the summons came, and she heard the voice which she had known and loved from childhood saying to her, Come up higher? She had no fears, no shrinking, but felt that surely, since goodness and mercy had followed her all the days of her life. She should dwell in the house of the Lord, that house above not made with hands forever. Mary Jones died December twenty eighth eighteen sixty six at the good old age of eighty-two. We have no particulars of her last moments save that on her deathbed she bequeathed her precious bible to the rev Robert Griffiths, who in his turn bequeathed it to mr Rees. This bible, which is now in the possession of the British and foreign bible society, is a thick octavo of the edition published by the Society for the Promotion of Christian Knowledge in 1799, the last edition of the Welsh Bible, previous to the establishment of the Bible Society. The volume contains, in addition to the actual text of the now recognized and authorized scripture, John Caney's marginal references, the Apocrypha, the Book of Common Prayer, a metrical version of the Psalms by Edmund Press, and various church tables. It also contains in Mary Jones handwriting, in perhaps the first English that she had learned, a note that she bought it in the year 1800, when she was sixteen years old. So full of days, and like Dorcas of old, of good works, Mary Jones passed away from earth to the rest that remaineth for the people of God, a sheaf of ripe corn safely gathered at last in the heavenly granary. She was buried in the little churchyard at Brink and a stone has been raised to her memory by those who love to recall the influence of her beautiful life, and the important if humble part she had taken in the founding of the great work of the British and foreign Bible society.